The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Three major U.S. cities are taking on the U.S. government, filing a federal lawsuit against the Defense Department for the failure to report many service members convicted of crimes to the FBI's National Gun Background Check database. New York City, San Francisco, and Philadelphia said court papers that the military's long-standing failure to report court-martial convictions led to one of the worst mass shootings in American history, the massacre of 26 people inside a Texas church last month. My guest is Greg Wallace, professor at the Campbell University School of Law. Greg, the failure to report military convictions over two decades has been documented by reports of the Inspector General. Tell us about the severity of the military's failure to comply with the law. Well, one of the things that uh, the law requires, the, this law that uh, has set up what's called the National Instant Criminal Background Check, or NICS for short, uh, th- this is a system that uh, both uh, uh, gun sellers and uh, state and local governments use to run background checks uh, to see if a person is either in the case of a gun seller, uh, uh, does, doesn't have any disqualifications from buying a firearm in a case of, of cities and states. Uh, there's no disqualification in issuing, a, let's say, a concealed carry permit or whatever. Uh, the, 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 the database is only as good as the information that's placed into it. And what what they do is there are a number of disqualifiers, for example, a dishonorable discharge, a domestic violence uh, conviction, uh, illegal alien, uh, a past, any sort of past felony conviction. And states uh, are not required to report that information, but uh, but they they typically do it voluntarily. The federal government, of course, is required to report that information, and the military has really dropped the ball here. Anywhere from from fourteen percent with the Air Force to as high as forty one percent with the Army, uh, those kinds of of convictions or other disqualifiers have not been reported over the last several years. So, Greg, this lawsuit is asking that the military comply with the law, and the Pentagon has admitted its failure to report criminal activity of service members. So what would the cities have to prove in this lawsuit? Well, one thing is they're going to have to prove they have standing to bring this claim, and I think that's that's a, going to be difficult for them. Um, the, uh, the Texas shooting uh, did not occur, obviously, in, in, in San Francisco or Philadelphia or New York City, now, what they're saying is, well, we need to know, we need to have up-to-date information uh, in the system if we're going to issue uh, gun permits to, to people. Uh, but I think there's going to be a standing 
question there as to whether these cities really have standing to complain about something that really didn't happen uh, in in either in any of those three cities. The uh, the, the the other problem I think is that uh, they may have a, a question of whether the lawsuit is moot because the Department of Defense is taking steps to try to correct this problem. Now, the cities are asking for an injunction and for a federal court to oversee compliance with the law. How would that work in practice? What a federal court would probably do is to, to, to uh, if uh, assuming they can clear the standing and mootness hurdles, uh, what the, the, the federal court would do is to uh, typically issue a timetable in which the uh, government would have to comply with the, the federal law uh, requiring the reporting of these kinds of offenses and, and other uh, disqualifiers to the NICS database. And now I just want to go back a moment to what you said about Attorney General Jeff Sessions ordering a review of the FBI database and directing the FBI to work with the Defense Department. The cities are claiming that Sessions doesn't have the power to ensure compliance, that only a court would. What's your take on that? Well, I don't think that's uh, that's necessarily true. I mean, certainly the the Department of Justice has has the power to uh, to to direct um, the other branches of government if they're not complying with federal law, um, just like they would have the power to uh, to address the failure of state governments to comply with with federal law. So I, I think that's that's one thing that uh, um, the the cities uh, uh, I, I think are, it's a bit of a stretch here. The, the the other thing is that you know this NICS database everybody this this database for background checks is only as good as as the volume of information that goes into it, and there are failures across the board. Uh, states, for example, as as. Uh, I said earlier, they, under uh, Supreme Court precedent, they can't be required to report this kind of information, but the federal government has incentivized that. But states are, are woefully come up, come up woefully short in reporting, for example, things like mental health committals, uh, other types of disqualifiers, uh, as, and it's not just limited really to the Defense Department. Uh, even these, these three cities that are bringing the lawsuit, they're all three sanctuary cities, and I doubt that they're reporting to the NICS database the illegal aliens that they arrest. So, Greg, as far as looking at the case now, we don't know what the Defense Department is going to say exactly. What kind of a chance do you give the cities of actually having a court supervise? Well, I think probably uh, it's, it's difficult to predict how courts are going to rule, but I think that the cities have got a pretty uh, steep hill to climb here. Uh, as, as a general matter, uh, cities are really not in a position, even through the court system, uh, to, to enforce federal law against federal agencies. That's really up to Congress and up to other executive agencies like the Department of Justice. And so I'm not sure a court's going to take too well to uh, uh, three municipalities attempting to uh, force the DOD to comply with federal law. All right. That, I'm sorry, that ends our time, but it certainly is an important topic, and thank you for your insights. That's Greg Wallace, professor at the Campbell University School of Law.
On Tuesday, a jury acquitted Peru's former top soccer official of charges that he accepted bribes from sports marketing companies in exchange for lucrative media rights to major soccer tournaments. Last Friday, the Brooklyn jury convicted his two co-defendants, former South American soccer officials, of accepting millions of dollars in bribes, but said it was unable to reach a unanimous decision on the one count against Manuel Berga. The judge ordered the jurors to continue deliberating, and they exonerated Berga after another day's deliberations. Joining me is Andy Spaulding, a professor at the University of Richmond School of Law. And he first described the investigation that uncovered hundreds of millions of dollars in bribes and kickbacks over decades at FIFA, which is International Soccer's Governing Association. Sure. Well, it's uh, uh, an interesting and even ironic development in the United States because we're not a big soccer country. But uh, several years ago, the United States initiated an investigation into uh, systemic corruption at FIFA, which is the the International uh, Soccer Governance Organization. The FBI has devoted uh, a great deal of resources to this investigation. And uh, we have uh, uh, come up with uh, about uh, 40 individuals whom we have charged. A couple dozen have pled guilty right away. Uh, as you mentioned, we got a, a, a couple convictions uh, just last week, and then now this acquittal. So it, despite the recent news that uh, someone um, uh, is, has been acquitted, I think this has been a tremendously uh, successful and impactful uh, investigation, both for uh, the anti-corruption movement and for, and for sport. How is the evidence against Berga different from the evidence against his co-defendants? In simple terms, why was he acquitted while the others were convicted? Sure. Well, the, the charges against Berga were relatively weak to begin with. He is not, uh, does not appear to be the biggest player in this scheme. Um, but uh, there was only one charge against him, while there were multiple charges against, uh, against many others. Um, but it appears that there's some question as to whether he actually ever uh, received a bribe. Uh, there was uh, conflicting evidence at trial. Uh, and so, again, uh, his acquittal does not mean that he did not accept a bribe or, or pay a bribe. It just means that uh, there wasn't enough evidence to prove it. A rather strange part of the defense was his lawyer's argument that he would not have been able to receive bribes because he was under investigation for money laundering in Peru. That's, that's sort of a, a, a very strange to me uh, yeah, defense. I didn't do it because I couldn't do it at the time. Right. I, I, I agree. It's weak, and, and that he was under investigation is just further evidence that, that there's, there, there's just so, so much systemic corruption in sport here. There's so much smoke. We all know there's fire there. This is just the question of whether we can prove it. And I think few people believe that his hands are clean um, as a result of this acquittal. It just shows that the government still has to, has to prove its case, and it can be hard to do so. Um, um, but again, I would emphasize that, uh, that uh, despite his acquittal, the, the, the United States has been able to accomplish a tremendous amount with this prosecution, and I think um, will permanently change uh, international soccer. This case was in some ways like a Hollywood movie script. Dawn yeah. raids at a five-star hotel in Zurich, the suicide of a lawyer named in the testimony, security tight enough for a mob trial, and the star prosecution witness crying on the stand when Berga allegedly made throat-slashing gestures. Tell me about that, which was called alleged witness intimidation. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the throat-slashing gesture makes for good news. I think if that particular uh, event can be interpreted a couple different ways. It could mean I want to kill you. It could mean uh, uh, put an end to this. With, in other words, stop talking about this. 
whatever it was, it was inappropriate, <laughs> and and uh, certainly evidence that um, these individuals uh, are not uh, uh, operating in ways that are are, are customary and legal. Uh, there, there's a certain disrespect for the law that's and for the legal processes that are that's conveyed there. Uh, but yeah, the drama has been high: uh, a suicide, uh, perhaps a murder in Mexico. Um, and a lot of emotion here, and it's because the, just the stakes are so high. Uh, there's so much money in international sport now, particularly international soccer, um, and where there's money, there tends to be corruption. And I believe the defense said that he was just scratching his throat. Now, <laughs> yes, yeah, that he had he had uh, dry skin uh, on his throat. I, I believe was the, was was the suggestion, which is which is uh, an equally bad uh, defense. So you know they're grasping, and again, uh, there's there's little doubt these individuals are involved in this bribery. It's just a question of whether the lawyers can uh, can produce just enough doubt to defeat the prosecution's case. So as you mentioned, it's a huge investigation. Federal prosecutors indicted more than four. 40 people tied to FIFA at 24 pleaded guilty. Why did these three fight the charges? Is it a question of the money necessary to go to trial? Uh, well, uh, going to trial is extremely expensive. That's certainly true. Um, uh, perhaps these uh, these three individuals either thought the the evidence was weaker, um, or that they were just uh, just uh, strong-willed enough to do it. Um, uh, they, uh, uh, I think, they're probably at least two of them are regretting their case. But then, then Berga from uh, from Peru is now uh, uh, probably the the uh, the hero to some of these guys. Um, but uh, uh, it, again, it shows that. The, uh, Bergen notwithstanding, um, uh, you know, there's just so much evidence here that, uh, that even if you go to trial, you're still going to get in trouble. And the judge, the, the two who were convicted, the judge immediately sent them to prison and said that there will be jail time, and she didn't think yeah. that their appeal was worth much, I think. Yeah, that's right. I, I again, I think, uh, I think uh, the likelihood of the succeeding on appeal is is weak. Um, there's just so much evidence. As soon as you uh, get 24 guilty pleas uh, among 40 indictments, there's just going to be a tremendous volume of evidence available to the government. Uh, uh, that that's a lot of cooperating witnesses, and uh, so I I will be surprised if there's anything um, that can be reversed here. Andy, so the acquittal makes it a mixed verdict for the government here. Is there anything for prosecutors or defense to learn from this trial for the future? Oh, I, uh, I, I, I think may, maybe pick your battles. Uh, I think it's, it will be a shame if the Berga acquittal ends up getting a disproportionate amount of, of, of press coverage or attention because um, it, it, it makes it look like the government has somehow failed, which I don't think we would say it has. If you have 24 guilty pleas and two convictions, a single acquittal on a single charge is not a major loss for the government. Um, and and so may, maybe the government could have could have spent its resources a little more a little more carefully. Uh, maybe it could have gone after the bigger fish. Maybe uh, defendants uh, against whom there's only one charge uh, aren't worth pursuing. <coughs> Excuse me, um, because what you know the government wants to do here is not just convict these individuals, but to but to to uh, to to make a message, state a message to the world that international soccer is now on the radar of U.S. Uh, enforcement authorities and um, and people who uh, who engage in this conduct and then try to ch- uh, challenge the, the allegations in court um, are, are likely not to fare well. So um, I, I hope and trust that the government can still make that message, and then that message is heard in these national and international uh, soccer federations around the world, uh, despite uh, this, I think, relatively minor defeat. 
All right, more to come on the soccer investigation for sure. That's Andy Spalling, professor at the University of Richmond School of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.